leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay. We have a very special guest for this episode. He is a fellow sports business classroom alum. He's a resident of California, and he's a longtime Lakers aficionado. His name is is Zeeshawn Zaman. Zeeshawn, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Garrett. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Now, uh, the Lakers are the talk of the NBA world acquiring LeBron James in the offseason. The expectations are sky high, uh, but uh, through three games, they are 0-3, dead last in the Western Conference standings. Uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, get your thoughts in terms of uh, what... Uh, what is your panic meter at right now? You know, I, I think the Lakers are lucky. There's a big buzz in L.A. right now, right? You have the exciting Rams 7-0 team. You, uh, you have the Dodgers in the World Series. So it's not that full panic mode yet. You know, people are still kind of getting ready for the Lakers to come up while uh, they're still waiting for the Dodgers and Rams to kind of take over right now. But I would say early on, I think it's as expected. They've been in some close games, so there's still that hope of, you know, we were right there against the Blazers, Rockets, Spurs. We were uh, battling them to the end in the fourth quarter. So I would say the panic meter is probably at around three or four right now. But, uh, you know, people are getting antsy for that first win. Right, and, uh, you know, obviously three games is not a, is not a huge sample size. But uh, let's jump into that first game against Portland. And uh, what, were, what were some of your big takeaways out of that opening night game last Thursday? Well, you know, right off the bat, I think LeBron, you know, with the two hammer dunks, I think some of that sequence he had with Damian Lillard just brought the excitement. Yeah, the crowd was the crowd was ooing and eyeing on those. It was amped up, and you know, for the Lakers, um, you know, whether it was the Rose Garden or the Moda Center, it, Portland's been a house of horrors for them. Um, 
think going into this game, the best 15 straight to the Blazers. And I think Blazers had won 17 straight home openers going into this game. So, you know, before even when the Lakers had great teams with Shaq and Kobe, Portland's always been a tough place for them to play. So I think just going in, um, you know, the expectations were, you know, we can put up a good fight. You know, the Portland team is bringing back a large part of their team. So, you know, you could see some of the communication gaps early on. Uh, you know, I think overall it was a great start uh, for the Lakers. But as the game went on, you could see that uh, the Blazers started to kind of take over the tempo. And um, you could see what, you know, Nick Stoskis was the man, uh, especially when Willard and McCollum were struggling early on in the game and weren't as effective. Uh, even with them out during the game, Nick Stoskis was putting the dagger in them through the first two quarters, um, especially with the four threes that he hit while the Lakers started 0 for 12 from the three-point line. Yeah, that was definitely a, a career game for uh, for Stauskas for sure. He was just absolutely on fire. But uh, the the most interesting part of this team is, of course, LeBron. And uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, that there was a lot of talk with the free agent acquisitions of this offseason getting a bunch of guys that are good with the ball in their hands and, and not great outside shooters, that LeBron was going to play off the ball more. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I thought that ended up being true. He did play off the ball. Uh, he, he came off a bunch of screens, and uh, they were able to get him the ball uh, in the post and inside for some easy baskets. Uh, what would you think about the general style of play that Luke Walton has set up for this group? Yeah, I think this is the first time, you know, LeBron's playing with those ball handlers such as Rondo and Lonzo. I know Lonzo's coming off his injury, so didn't play as many minutes as you would expect. But, you know, for the most part, Rondo controlled the pace of the game. Uh, you know, LeBron was able to facilitate from up top. But you could just see that, you know, what's kind of been the top going into the season, that three-point shooting. Are those shooters there to space things out for LeBron? And, uh, as the game went on, you could see that's what was missing. I think the Lakers shot 23% from the three for the game. But I do like LeBron playing off the ball. I think having multiple ball handlers on the court at the same time is a great benefit for him. Um, I he's early on, he's still playing a decent amount of minutes. I think for that game, he played uh, in the high 30s. But you can just see having another ball handler just takes a lot of the pressure off of him. So... Uh, it's good to see kind of LeBron playing a different style from what we're used to over the last couple of years in uh, Cleveland. Yeah, I think L.A. missed their first 15 three-point attempts at the ball game, and then were able to hit a couple uh, in the second half. But uh, LeBron played a ton in the second half. In the first half, he actually only played about the first eight minutes of both the first and second quarter and actually sat out near the end of the second period. Uh, but, you know, another thing that talking about all of these uh, playmakers and guys that can pass the basketball, and, you know, they've got a lot of good young athletes as well, you could see that, uh, especially in the transition game, that's kind of where the Lakers are most effective. Exactly, exactly, Garrett. So, with, you know, when are the Lakers at their best? It's when they can get a stop, which, you know, they've had some struggles early on, but when they can get a stop, they push that ball down and they can take it to the basket. Um, you know, Josh Hart is one of the guys that's been contributing early on in the season where off of a rebound, he can take it, you know, coast to coast. And, and just having multiple ball handlers on the court at all time where you have, you know, oftentimes five guys, maybe with the exception of McGee, that can grab their own rebound and take it all the way down or create a play for others. So, you know, with Coos and Ingram, you kind of get the same thing as you do with Lonzo and Rondo and uh, LeBron there. So they have multiple players that 
are pretty decent rebounders at their size, and then not only can they handle the ball, but also take it to the hoop. Now, you, you mentioned JaVale McGee. A lot of talk as well this offseason about the Lakers' center position. Of course, they uh, they let Julius Randle walk, despite the fact that they had uh, control with him uh, being a restricted free agent. And basically, their their best center they acquired in the offseason was JaVale McGee. What's your thoughts been with him so far in the early going? I think early going, um, I think JaVale's been a surprise. You know, at the, you know price that they got him for and paying him a little over $2 million. He's actually had a pretty good season so far uh, through the first, you know, he's, you know, JaVale has a spots where he'll get the spectacular, you know, block shots, but he's averaging 15 and 7 with three blocks per game so far. Um, he, you know, for the limited minutes he can play, he's probably playing a little bit more than he's used to. Uh, Luke's trying to get him the breaks where he can, but he's actually been uh, a good force for them down there. Uh, I think at times, have been a little too dependent on him, where they're going for a post-up game with JaVale, and that's where he struggles. But in transition, uh, LeBron found him a couple times, even in the Portland game, where he's getting a block streaking down the court, and LeBron's able to get him the ball for easy dunks. So they've been able to get him some easy looks, and having Rondo out there again, that really helps uh, JaVale to get some easy baskets there as well. Yeah, he certainly is a uh, is a real real quality offensive center, but uh, defensively he's been, uh, in my eyes, a, a major problem. And, and and as you mentioned, as a whole, the Lakers' defense has been has been a big issue, and and a big part of the reason why they were able to to get into the low to mid thirties and wins last season, and and seem like they were a team on the rise, was because they finished uh, in the upper half of the league as far as defense last year. Uh, but uh, but so far this season through three games, I believe they're 26th in defensive rating. Is it mostly McGee that you f- see to be the problem? Is it some LeBron as well? What are uh, what are some of the main issues you're noticing on that end? I think you know there's definitely some lapses on LeBron's team and towards uh, the end of the games that we've seen uh, in the Portland game against McCollum. Uh, yesterday we saw a couple lapses against uh, Forbes as well towards the end of the game. I got some easy shots in critical situations, but I think one of the issues that we have or that we've seen early on is, uh, you know, even when McGee, you know, he's not the greatest defender, but when he's off the court, it's even larger problems uh, with Kuzma trying to play the backup five and learn that position. Uh, he's really struggled out there. Uh, in the Houston game that we'll touch on, you know, they really started to pick on him by switching, uh, creating mismatches to put Chris Paul or... Uh, James Harden on him, so I think that backup role has really hurt. And then, you know, even in the Spurs game, we started to see where LaMarcus Aldridge was just bullying uh, any of the vibes that we start to put out there. So I think the backup position is a big hole. And in the perimeter, I think, you know, KCP is known as a good defender, but we haven't seen that aggressiveness or anything from him that's stood out so far uh, this season. Well, yeah, KCP is, uh, is an interesting story so far you know he's he's a guy that as you mentioned has a reputation as a really good defender but so far he's found himself uh, in limited minutes I think he's only averaged about 21 minutes a night uh, even in this most recent game against San Antonio Svi Mikhailov the the second rounder ended up getting a lot of his minutes especially in the second half uh, but given how poor the Lakers defense has been it, it really is shocking to me that uh, that KCP is playing less than half the game. 
Yeah, and I think as you know, each game's gone on, uh, not only Spee, but you see Josh Hart kind of taking over those minutes as well from uh, Caldwell Pope. I think in the most recent game, Casey Plea only played 19 minutes compared to Hart, who played 39 minutes, almost doubling up the time that he's on the field. And, and as you mentioned, even Spee got 17 minutes. I know a lot of that has to do with the suspension to Rondo and Ingram. But I think, you know, that's one of the things that you're kind of hearing here in L.A. is, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that don't want to see KCP in the starting lineup and are hoping that Luke would make that move to add uh, Hart into the starting lineup as well as continue to give some minutes to Svee who can uh, provide some shooting in spurts. Well, uh, you mentioned with the suspensions, we might as well get into that with the Rockets game. Of course, that happened with the game still up for grabs. I believe it was a one-point game late in the fourth quarter when Rondo and Chris Paul got into a a bit of a scuffle. And uh, Chris Paul claimed that Rondo actually spit on him. Then Chris Paul put his hand in Rondo's face, and then Rondo started throwing punches. Paul retaliated, and then Brandon Ingram came in from behind, and uh, he actually was frustrated just moments prior and pushing a Rockets player on the previous possession, but uh, certainly the the Lakers got the uh, the raw end of that deal in terms of having multiple key guys, multiple starters suspended for the next uh, three to four games. What were your thoughts about that whole scuffle? Yeah, that, that was uh, it's interesting where there's so many dynamics that go into play with that scuffle. I think first of all, the, you know, it all started to take place a little bit earlier in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think Ennis had a hard foul on Josh Hart, that was ruled a flagrant one, and things start to get a little chippy from there. It seemed like there was some frustration on Brandon Ingram's part. It seemed like a routine kind of, you know, and one play for James Harden that we'd always seen. Uh, I think it was just called uh, two shots. Uh, and at that point, you just saw this frustration come out of Brandon Ingram, who's normally very quiet. You don't hear too much from him. Had a huge shove on Chris Paul, and uh, sorry, on James Harden was in the ref's face, was pulled away, surprisingly, by Lance Stevenson, of all people. And Alonzo, they're holding him back, and then all of a sudden you see this fight that breaks out between Rondo and Chris Paul. Um, and then, you know, now we have, uh, you know, Brandon Ingram running up there with, with a punch on uh, Chris Paul. Um, so, you know, definitely something that, you know, we didn't expect to see from Brandon Ingram, uh, who's just so quiet in nature and, you know, not as aggressive and, you know, from a Lakers uh, fan perspective, you know, we often want to see that kind of aggression during the game for Brandon. So it, it's good to see that he's backing up his teammate, but I think the Lakers are very lucky with the amount of suspension that both Ingram and uh, Rondo got. I, th- I think the expectation for both, I think Ingram came out and said it yesterday, was that four games actually seems like a slap on the wrist compared to, you know, what we'd seen previously in the David Stern era where these kind of punches thrown and landed would be double-digit games. Yeah, Chris Paul actually got the lightest sentence of all, getting just two games. From from all the replays that I saw, and even with the live action, I never actually saw Rondo spit on him. I didn't see any evidence of that, so uh, is that just a matter of the NBA is taking his word for that? Because generally the guy that instigates a lot of these fights, which if Rondo didn't spit on him and Paul just put his hand up to his face, he would be the guy that was initiating all of it. I believe there is a camera angle that the Rockets had captured uh, from the sideline that shows a little spit bubble coming towards. Oh, okay, I, I missed that. <laughs> Whether, yeah, there's this high, you know, high definition clip of this happening, but 
I think the claim, whether if this was intentionally done versus, you know, if this was just in the moment, he's, you know, yelling at him back and forth and he spit on him but wasn't trying to spit at him. I think there's a difference there. Um, right. I don't think that, uh, just kind of based on, you know, looked at that tape a few times there, and I don't think Rondo was intentionally spitting at him. And kind of what I look back on, you know, Rondo has his mouth guard on, if he was really looking to spit on him on purpose, we would have seen a different reaction from Carmelo and a couple of other guys that are surrounding him. Um, he doesn't kind of fuck her up to spit on him. Or, you know, I think if you are spitting some, at someone, you would expect a punch back right away. And Rondo kind of just had his arms to his side. You know, wasn't even expecting Paul to get that finger into his eye or, you know, come back at him. So it wasn't like something that, you know, Rondo was anticipating at all. So... I think, you know, he might have spit on him. Would he do it on purpose? I don't think so. And now, I don't know if you've heard some of the back and forth today from Rondo. Uh, he came back and just said, you know, CP3's not a good teammate. And, you know, just kind of his reputation was trying to come after him a little bit today. So it's interesting. I think more than, you know, just a spectate, you know, you have Chris Paul and LeBron James are, are close, right? They're, they're best friends, part of the Banana Boat crew. And... Or you have Rondo taking shots at Chris Paul uh, today. So how does that dynamic kind of going forward between the two leaders of the Lakers where you know, they might be seeing things differently? Uh, you know, people are calling out LeBron for, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any reason for this, but, you know, you know, he pulls Chris Paul to the side, had his arms around him, just kind of more the, you know, the visuals of that, maybe rub people the wrong way. But um, so yeah, I, I think that dynamic going forward with Rondo and LeBron is what's going to be interesting coming out of this more than anything once the, you know, the suspensions are done. Yeah, the, the backup center position is going to be a real question mark here for the next couple of games because Kuzma now into the starting lineup replacing Ingram. And uh, in the game against San Antonio, they used Michael Beasley as the backup center in the first half. That seemed like that was a disaster. The second half, they went with Zubac and... Uh, he picked up five fouls in the matter of about five minutes against Aldridge. So they uh, they ended up going with, I believe it was a um, Williams, or I'm trying to come... Uh, yeah, Jonathan Williams. Jonathan Williams. And uh, he uh, actually had uh, a nice run there in overtime and, and gave them a little bit of a boost. Right. Jonathan Williams, great story. Right? He's an undrafted rookie out of Gonzaga. He was part of their summer league. Gets cut right before, at the end of training camp. And then a week before, or no, after the Portland game, I believe, they re-sign him and cut Travis Ware, saying, like, hey, we do need some backup help. I think they realized that the backup center defensively was not going to work. So, you know, within two weeks, now he's playing crunch time minutes and overtime with LeBron, right? So what a crazy kind of two-week turnaround for him. Um, I think, you know, kind of going back to Michael Beasley there, um, you know, when we talk about, and we'll probably get into a little more detail on some of the signings in the offseason, but if there's one after three games that I, I think we'd all have to scratch our heads about, it's the Beasley signing. Um, he just has looked out of it for the first three games. I, I don't think he's even, he even was uh, in the game against the Rockets, but the limited action he's had defensively, offensively, he hasn't been able to bring anything to the table. I think Jonathan Williams... Um, the suspension might be a blessing in disguise for him. I think he's going to continue to see some backup minutes when JaVale's out of the game. Um, he really did bring some great intensity towards the end. A couple block shots on DeRozan in, in crunch time and some put-back baskets uh, in overtime as well. So 
Uh, he did exactly what you would want from a backup center. And for Kuzma, I think another one where, you know, you'd seen the struggle in the first two games trying to play the backup five, possibly being out of position, thinking too much. And yesterday he gets inserted into the starting lineup next to LeBron, and he was aggressive. He looked great out there. Yeah, he um, he definitely seemed to be a lot more in his comfort zone. Uh, but, but yeah, having, having Williams out there and just having a, a guy that uh you know is just willing to even attempt to protect the rim is uh, is a huge bonus compared to what they've thrown out there when McGee is off the floor uh they just have absolutely no resistance at the basket uh so yeah Williams just being a guy that's willing to put his body on the line he uh he went straight up a couple of times on DeRozan and was able to get some stops and the Lakers as you mentioned uh, are are really good when they can get some stops and get out on the run, uh, but uh, but it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if he actually has carved himself out a uh, not only for just during this suspension with uh, Ingram and uh, Rondo, but maybe all season long or, or at least until the trade deadline or buyout time uh, before the the Lakers can pick up another center. Yeah, I really do think I think you know style of play that they have with the up and down pace, I don't think it's something that Subak will be able to handle. So I think Jonathan Williams definitely will start to creep up with some of the minutes and just the limited amount of time that, you know, McGee's used to playing, you know, usually in the high teens or low 20s. I think even yesterday he played 28 minutes, which is pretty high for him. Uh, so getting those, you know, 14, 15 minutes from Williams going uh, for the next you know, until, as you mentioned, until the trading deadline, I think that's something that we'll definitely start to see, if not more. Now, uh, looking at a guy like Lonzo Ball, what's your, your thoughts been on him so far? He's actually looked at various times like uh, he's uh, he's improved that three-point shot, but uh, he, he's the type of player that it seems like his shot either goes in or uh, it misses badly. Yeah, absolutely right, and that's why it's such a hard thing to kind of get a feel for Lonzo, right? Uh, even so streaky and not it's streaky to the point if you think even to the previous season where there were stretches where he's shooting 20 percent versus when he's shooting in the 40 percent from threes if Lonzo just shot 30 percent on all of the full year you kind of have a different perspective but he's so streaky that you don't know is he good or is he terrible there's no <laughs> in between with him and same thing like you mentioned it seems like his threes are either nothing but net or barely just touching the net so um, you know, I've seen, I think, four or five air balls already this season. And then, you know, I think he leads the team, uh, if not, might be second on the team so far in three-pointers so far this season and, and shooting over a 40% clip. Yeah, he, um, you know, they had a, uh, against Houston, they had a lineup uh, that included LeBron, Lonzo, Kuzma, and uh, Hart that uh, was, was really effective, went on a run for them. And, uh, you know, just talking about the spacing on this team and, and the spacing around LeBron uh, that you really need for him to be at his best, having, you know, Kuzma and Hart, who are, are two of their better three-point shooters, but also a guy in ball who is a willing three-point shooter, even if at times uh, it's not going in for him, just having that guy out there and having three guys that are willing to take those shots and space the floor uh, makes their, especially their half-court offense, a lot more effective. Yeah, I mean, I think up to date, the Lakers are 28th in three-point shooting percentage so far, while they're third in overall offensive rating. So that's pretty incredible where they're, you know, they're doing a marvelous job in the paint, but when it 
it comes out to the three-point struggles, they are definitely struggling as everyone had predicted. Uh, but overall, offensively, they're still doing great in terms of their efficiency there. I think they're tied for second in assists per game, and that's something you would also expect with you know Rondo, Lonzo, and LeBron on the court. Uh, but you know that's one thing that Lonzo is. He's still uh, not shying away from shooting that three, and I think that just helps the flow of the offense overall. I think one thing that's probably just concerning to me for Lonzo in terms of the three-point shooting, but also when he's taking it to the basket and the hesitancy there, uh, he's a little stronger built this year than last year, but some of those challenges are still there. A uh, few times where he's taken to the basket and just hesitated or passed while he's in the air and turned it over, not finishing close to the basket. Um, I was hoping to see some improvement there early in the season, and I haven't seen that so far. And I think that's something, if he can uh, at least get a couple of easy baskets every game, I think that'll just kind of open things up for him as well. Yeah, they, um, they, they've tried experimenting with him a little bit. Obviously, Lonzo coming off an injury and not fully in shape, so they kind of wanted to limit his minutes early on, and that's why I believe Rondo is getting the starts early on in the season. But uh, one thing I thought was interesting as well in that Houston game was that Lonzo and and Rondo played together a little bit, and, and they actually looked decent out there. And Lonzo certainly has the size at the point guard position that he can move up and, and guard twos or threes. Yeah, I, you know, I was expecting to see that lineup. I didn't realize that we would see it this soon into the season. Uh, for the limited stretches, I think that is something that they can pull off. You know, both Rondo and Lonzo, you know, they're not the type of Tony Allen kind of get in your stance, grinded defensive players all stay in front of you. Uh, both of them are more of kind of the, you know, Rondo losing some of his athleticism. They're both instinctive defensive players. You'll see a lot of the times Rondo, or, excuse me, Lonzo will let, you know, the offensive player go by him, poke it from behind, or kind of get a block from the weak side where he's just very, um, you know, he kind of just plays it by feel. And he's done a good job, you know, I think he's pretty plus rating and defensively last year as well. So, Defensively, I don't worry about them uh, being on the court together. Obviously, that shooting uh, is the concern. But you know, with Lonzo being aggressive uh, overall, you know, as I mentioned earlier, shooting over forty percent so far, I think it's keeping the defense somewhat honest. But you know, you're still starting to see teams kind of clog the middle with LeBron inside, uh, you know, forcing him to pass to one of the three-point shooters. And so far, the Lakers have not hit at the clip. You know, I think they're shooting around twenty-five percent from three overall. Uh, so that's something that definitely needs to improve to kind of open the game up for LeBron a little bit. Yeah, and you've seen that in, in all three games where the, the transition offense is pretty good, but because of that, those shooting issues, the half-court offense has has really struggled. And LeBron himself only shooting 46% uh, so far, which uh, you know doesn't sound too bad, but compared to what LeBron's done the last few years when he's been in the mid-50s, uh, it, it is a little bit lower than uh, than than you normally get. Uh, another thing I thought that uh, I think Luke Walton will will hopefully experiment with more as time goes on is is staggering uh, LeBron and Ingram and and so far they've mostly played together. But I think uh, especially when LeBron goes off the floor and especially in the half court, they need a guy like Ingram out there. I completely agree with you, Garrett, and I see actually a couple of different staggers that I think would work better for the team. Uh, eventually, as you know, you mentioned kind of Lonzo's minutes restrictions were off. I think uh, Luke mentioned yesterday that those restrictions are off. 
I would like to see Lonzo take that start, and I would see want to see Rondo uh, kind of come off the bench there. And similar move as you mentioned. Um, I know we'll kind of get to experiment with Ingram being out for the next four games to see if we did move Kuzma to the starting lineup and moving uh, Ingram to the bench, how that plays. Because I think uh, Kuzma's aggression, kind of that three-point shooting, uh, plays really well with the style of LeBron, obviously. I think LeBron needs that force placer where, you know, Ingram's more hesitant to take that three-point shot. He shot a decent clip last year, but that usage rate was pretty low. So I think what we want, uh, probably would expect to see at some point this season is a starting lineup where you see Lonzo Ball and I think Hart to start taking some of those minutes with Kuz, JaVale, and LeBron. And kind of your bench, you'd uh, probably start to see Rondo, Stevenson, uh, or KCP, along with Ingram. And I think that would allow, you know, at all times to just have a veteran leader uh, with Rondo or LeBron on the court at all times, and also, as you mentioned, kind of staggering the minutes between Ingram and LeBron. Well, and the idea of of sending Ingram to the bench concerns me a little bit just in terms of his confidence level and all those sorts of things. You never know how uh, those sort of things can go over in a locker room. But but even in the event that they need to keep Ingram in the starting lineup, you can do something like what the Rockets did with Chris Paul where Ingram maybe plays the first four or five minutes of the quarter, then comes out, and then comes back in with a few minutes to go in the first. And that way you can still get him playing mostly with the second unit, and you can get Kuzma out there early. Right. No, yeah, that, that's definitely another way that they can go. And I think kind of that same kind of concern with Lonzo, as you mentioned, with uh, Ingram. You know, he was also second pick in the draft recently with the hype that Magic and Rob Palenka had placed on him. Um, you know, how, how long is he going to continue coming off the bench versus starting? So let's see if, you know, coming from back from these suspensions of, that, you know, initiate some of these changes in the lineups for Luke, or, you know, once those starters are back, if Luke kind of goes back to the original lineup that he started the season off with. So it'll be interesting to see after, over the next week. Yeah, so moving on now to more of the, the Spurs game, which uh, was on Monday night, an overtime loss for the Lakers. You mentioned kind of a back-and-forth affair down the stretch. Uh, but looking at some of the stuff early on, some of the things I noticed, obviously, McGee's defense, I thought, was uh, was pretty bad early on. There were a lot of times where he just uh, forgot that he was guarding LaMarcus Aldridge, one of the best mid-range shooters in the league, and he was just wide open. Uh, there there was another play where he was switched on to Patty Mills, and, and Mills kind of did the Steve Nash under the basket and passed it outside, and, and McGee, as soon as uh, Mills passes it, just kind of stops. And Mills continues and, and gets a wide-open three out of it, and, and McGee goes up and and uh, and reacts late and then f- runs into him and fouls him. Uh, but you see a lot of that stuff with JaVale, and, and you saw it late in the game as well where he fell for a couple pump fakes and, and got fouls. And, and that's another thing the Lakers are going to struggle with is not only do they have this lack of quality talent at the center position, but, uh, you know, with McGee and Zubach, those guys uh, tend to get in foul trouble pretty quickly. Yeah, and kind of we saw it early on where the struggles, I think the Lakers fell, you know, down 14 the, in, in the first quarter. It was probably down, I think, 17 or 18 points, and the Spurs were hot. I think they shot over 70% from the field in the first duos, and it was 5 for 5. I think, you know, as you mentioned, Aldridge was on fire too. So, you know, when they're not able to get those stops, they can't, you know, get in transition. And, you know, they were definitely playing at the pace 
pace of play that the Spurs like to play. And so there was a huge struggle in the first quarter. And I think LeBron, you know, was still kind of in that feel-out mode. You've seen that in every game where, uh, you know, he's not super aggressive coming out right at the beginning. Uh, maybe he was during the uh, Blazers game, but yesterday I don't think he got his first field goal until kind of eight minutes left in the second. So you start to see the Spurs cool off a little bit uh, from their hot start, and the aggressive play from Kuzma uh, in the second quarter kind of brought them back uh, by the half. But the struggles, you know, with Aldridge, I think, you know, Aldridge's been struggling this season, but he really took it close to the baskets. He wasn't just settling for that mid-range. He was making sure whoever was down there on him, getting the Lakers in foul trouble early on. And, uh, you know, they gave a lot of free throws up, easy shots to uh, the Spurs. You know, LeBron has, has struggled with his three-point shot. He's just three for 19 on the season thus far. And, you know, considering all of the, the lack of shooting the Lakers already have on the roster, the fact that his jump shot seems to be, uh, you know, nowhere to be found at this moment of time certainly doesn't help. Right. I think we were spoiled by seeing LeBron's three-point shooting abilities last year and kind of, uh, you know, expecting him to be that sharp shooter uh, continuing on this year, uh, I think. You know, on the court, when you look at the team, uh, he's probably the best shooter that they have, maybe outside of Kuzma. So I think during uh, last night's game, he went 2-3. for eight, and He had that struggle uh, the night before with the Rockets as well. So, you know, I think just as the season goes on, I think we expect that to kind of come to the middle and LeBron to get back to uh, what we're expecting to see from previous years. Now, I uh, wanted to just talk briefly about the end of that uh, Spurs game. It, uh, it was cer- uh, certainly uh, um, a situation where he thought the game was over and on multiple occasions. You know, the, the Lakers were down eight points with a minute and ten to go, and uh, they were able to essentially get three stops and three straight scores, including the, the, the shot that tied it, which was a LeBron pull-up three from about 30 feet. But uh, that was a situation where it almost looked certain the Lakers were going to be 0-3, and then all of a sudden they have life. Yeah, I think the last, what, six, seven minutes of that game was just a roller coaster ride, right? You had the Lakers down, as you mentioned, uh, in the last minute, down six. Kuz hits the big three, back-to-back with LeBron. I think LeBron was coming down looking at Luke Walton. I think they were out of timeouts already. And LeBron uh, looked to Luke to see if they should call a timeout. Luke said no, and he just pulls up, drains it, uh, I think, on Rudy Gay. So that was that first, you know, welcome to L.A. LeBron moment, at least on the home court, to see LeBron hit that. Uh, so I think got the fans excited off their feet. I think everyone was feeling pretty good, thinking that the Lakers, you know, would carry that momentum into overtime to get that first win. And, you know, going into overtime, uh, that momentum did continue. They were looking good. They think they had... Uh, you know, a huge a seven-point lead when, in the last uh, minute before the Spurs kind of went back to their, you know, execution that we're used to seeing and uh, great play calls by Popovich at the end to, uh, you know, give them the lead. Well, yeah, it seemed like both teams in both of those situations kind of started to play, you know, in football like the prevent defense where you're, you know, you're up six or eight points with a, a minute or so to go and instead of continuing to play defense like you have for the whole game, you kind of just start to concede twos and, and are afraid of fouling and all those sorts of things, and all of a sudden the other team gets some momentum. You get tight on offense, and it seemed like both teams kind of suffered from that. But, uh, you know, LeBron went from being really the hero 
uh, at the end of regulation to kind of be in the goat at the end, missing a couple of free throws uh, that uh, would have given the Lakers a three-point lead. And then the Spurs with Patty Mills able to knock down a jumper to take a one-point lead. LeBron had an opportunity uh, to win it at the end, but came up short. Yeah, and I think LeBron, I think, you know, we'll look at the offensive side with the missed free throws and uh, the shot at the end. I think even on the defensive side, we saw laps where, uh, you know, he left Rudy Gay wide open at the top of the key where he collapsed inside when, I think the Spurs were down through at that point, so for uh, Gay to hit that shot, I think it brought them back, gave them some momentum, and great play call uh, by Pop to run that play for Patty Mills, right? You're expecting either DeRozan or um, Aldridge to get that ball, and then here comes Patty Mills out of nowhere with a nice jumper. So, um, you know, just that execution and that the Spurs have, I think that's something that the Lakers are still striving towards. But it was disappointing, kind of a gut-wrenching loss for the Lakers. Uh, you know, had a chance at the end for LeBron to once again be the hero. Uh, you know, he did have heart open on the left side, but I think at that point, after missing the two free throws, there, there wasn't any way that LeBron was going to pass that up. And to be honest, I think, you know, from my LA perspective, I know it's early in the season, but I think everyone wanted to see LeBron take and make that shot. Fortunately for the Lakers, it didn't happen. Yeah, the... Uh... The thing about LeBron, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, his postseason defense, but his defense in the regular season, especially the last couple of seasons that he was with the Cavs, has been uh, anything but special. And, you know, some of the things you'll notice and that I've noticed so far in the three-game stretch is obviously the real lazy transition defense. And and because the Lakers are playing such a a fast pace, uh, he's running up and down even more, and it seems like he's He's ready. Uh, he's got the motor rev to go on the offensive end, but when it comes to getting back on D, not so much. Uh, but you know, you'll also notice it on some closeouts as well. You mentioned the Rudy Gay play, kind of uh, sunk into the lane, but then didn't really close out hard on that three-point shot. And, and also uh, near the end of the fourth quarter, a, a big shot by uh, Forbes to give the Spurs a six-point lead late in that ball game, where LeBron just didn't really close out. Right, he, um, that's a good point. You know, against Forbes, he, you saw that he had his hands down, and uh, Forbes you know, kind of looked him in the eye and shot that very confidently, and I think at that point it seemed like the game was over for the Lakers before that comeback. But when you're starting to see that, uh, I think similar things that we saw earlier uh, in, in the game against Portland, there was a situation where uh, C.J. McCollum was left wide open in the corner uh, that LeBron missed his assignment on. Uh, saw a couple of issues in the Houston game as well. So, I, you know, he's definitely playing at that faster pace. You wonder how much of it is impacting him defensively. Um, as you mentioned, though, you know, those that have watched and followed him closely, I think they recognize that that's where some of the fall-off has been recently, even though you know, on the offensive side he's been you know, amazing for what year he's in right now. But defensively, I think that's where he's able to take some of his breaks and um, saving some of his energy there. But um, problem is with the Laker defense, I think, you know, there's not that great defensive stopper on the team. So uh, it really hurts them, especially in those crunch moments. Yeah, as I mentioned, I think the center position is, is along with LeBron, a couple of the main reasons they're struggling so mightily on defense. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, um, we, we've uh, chatted previously about uh, our thoughts on on Julius Randle and the fact that uh, they let him walk and go to uh, to the Pelicans 
And uh, again, they he was a restricted free agent, so they, uh, you know, at the very worst, if they wanted to keep him, they could have gotten him for the qualifying offer. But, you know, the fact that they let him walk and then really didn't get any quality centers to replace him uh, is, is really puzzling to me. And, and essentially what they got out of it was Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson for the money that they could have paid Randall. And to me, that's a, that's a trade not worth doing. I agree with you. You know, I think we've mentioned before that I'm a huge Randall fan there. You know, I, I think what he brings both offensively and defensively, I think he's underrated his ability to switch on to guards. He did a great job last year with that. Um, you know, at his size, he's able to, you know, has pretty decent lateral movement. Um, so we saw a lot of that last year and it was really impressive to see Julius kind of improve and grow his game every year. Uh, this year it looks like he's added that three-point shot. So, uh, definitely something that the Lakers are missing right now. And I think what Randall you know, received what nine million this year. I think option player option next year as well. Where you know you're giving KCP twelve million, Rondo nine, Stevenson four and a half, and Beasley three and a half. So you know there's some players there that you know kind of head scratchers. I think you know we talked about the KCP. I think you do value him at that twelve million dollar level, where I don't see him at that value, but. Um, you know, Stevenson and Beasley, uh, you know, I think their total makes up $8 million compared to Ron Randall's 8.5 this year. So you could kind of see those players, um, you know, probably could have easily been replaced by Randall. I am okay with the Rondo signing. I know his production level probably doesn't deserve the $9 million, but I think some of the intangibles that he brings and just putting the pressure on Lonzo, I think it's kind of needed. And I think LeBron wanted to play like someone that can kind of think the game the same way he does. So I see why they did the Rondo signing, um, the, the Beasley signing, the Stevenson signing, and the amount of money for KCP still a head-scratcher for me when, you know, you could have made a better offer to Julius Randle. And even, I know the, for the, from a Lakers side, they were, you know, hoping for all one-year contracts, but even if it's a two-year deal for Randle, I think that's something that's easily tradable next year. I think, you know, it's a player of, Randall's quality, it wouldn't be too difficult to trade him next year if that's what they wanted to do. Right, and you know, I, uh, I've i been a big KCP fan, but certainly through three games he hasn't earned his $12 million. <laughs> but uh, I think he was a $12 million player last year, certainly. But yeah, the, the interesting thing to me with, with the Rondo signing is, you know, you've got a guy in waiting in Lonzo Ball that uh, is, a, is not only a very similar player, but I think a better player, and you know, especially... Uh, at this stage, I think Rondo is is overrated on the defensive end. I think Lonzo Ball is a is a superior uh, defender, and I think also uh, in terms of being a, a high volume shooter, he's a guy that is willing to take those shots. and And defenses don't leave quite as much as they do with Rondo. I agree with Figueroa. I think that you know Lonzo is the better player right now. Um, I wonder how much of it was you know just to kind of light that fire under Alonzo, you know, he does like to kind of play cool and calm and, you know, which I think could be a strength of his. How much of it was to light a fire under him a little bit and how much of it was to kind of quiet down LeVar Ball for the season? We haven't heard much from him. Just knowing, you know, if you do at some point decide to move Lonzo, you at least have another point guard that plays the same style. I think last year what you noticed when Lonzo was out of the game, you know, you had Ennis in the game where there's just this big fall off in the style that they're playing where now you know, at all times you can have Ronda or Alonzo who play very similar styles and you, you can kind of keep that same style for the 448. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me 
how how much they are going to do that uh, that that double point guard look. You know, I, I think a part of the reason you know that uh, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka were were going for. Uh, as far as the acquisitions was to kind of have a positionless basketball team and and in my eyes i think one of the main benefits to to doing that would be to maybe not even play a traditional point guard because a guy like lebron and a guy like ingram uh, can handle uh, the the ball handling duties and you've got a guy in kcp and josh hart uh, a couple of perimeter defenders that can can guard multiple different positions from 1 through 3 uh, so, you know, I, I would like to see a little bit more of that with with KCP and Hart maybe playing together without either of those point guards, but but so far it doesn't look like that's going to be a part of the plan. Yeah, that's something that Hart worked on during the summer league as well, is bringing the ball, handling it up. I don't think he's at the level that the Lakers kind of trust him to run the point guard for, maybe in spurts, a couple minutes here and there, especially we might see that during the Rondo suspension. But I don't think that there's confidence from Luke that they're going to be able to initiate the offense the way he likes to see it. Where, you know, from more from Lonzo's side, you, you see that he doesn't hold on to the ball. The ball's in and out of his hand fairly quickly. Where Lonzo, you see a lot more dribbling action. Same thing with KCP and Hart. Um, so I think Lonzo is the ideal person at that position. But I, I, from, from Luke's perspective, I think there's just that trust issue in terms of what he's trying to run, the pace that he's trying to play at, whether Hart or uh, KCP would be able to handle that. So as far as looking ahead to uh, to this year, are, are you expecting, uh, you know, obviously the Lakers have this uh, truckload of cap space, and they, you know, a lot of people have talked about maybe next offseason uh, they'll, they'll go after the likes of a Kawhi Leonard or a Jimmy Butler or, or you know, a, a Clay Thompson, one of those types of players to, to be a second banana for LeBron. Uh, do you see them having the patience to kind of wait out this season and, and go for gold and free agency? Or do you imagine, uh, you know, if if the season continues to be a bit of a struggle, they, they make a move early for one of those kinds of guys? Yeah, I think it'll be hard for them to make a move early on for one of those guys, I think, you know, they'll have to wait till closer to the trade deadline. And a lot of the contracts that they have for the one-year signing, I don't think that those can be traded till, uh, close till after the new year. I do think that, you know, the Lakers will be looking at all options. Um, I think, you know, Magic and uh, Rob have kind of laid this out as a long-term thing. But if they're close, if they feel like there's someone out there that they can get, whether it's a Jimmy Butler, if Damian Lillard, if Portland does struggle as the season goes on, if they're available, I think those are the guys that they would definitely make a move for. I think, you know, waiting for the offseason, I think the Lakers may have kind of learned some of their lessons there uh, with what happened with Paul George. So if there's a move to be made, I think this is kind of that feel-out process to see, okay, which of the young guys does LeBron want to play with and which guys are we okay kind of moving? When I asked you uh, what your... uh what your panic meter level was. You said about a three or a four. I'm curious your thoughts in terms of uh, at this stage where you're kind of projecting the Lakers in terms of the the playoff hierarchy, especially considering, you know, the Spurs uh, off to a two and one start. The Blazers are over 500. uh, And and you you look at Minnesota, a team that many people uh, had plummeting in the standings with that whole Jimmy Butler drama. But as of now, he's still on that team, and when he plays, uh, Minnesota is a pretty darn good basketball team. They are, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's going to be a battle down to the wire. Um, you know, when you look at 
kind of the teams out west, there's, you know, at least 10 teams for sure that, you know, if they made the playoffs, you wouldn't blink or question it, right? So I, I expect the Lakers to be towards that bottom level, fighting for the seven, six, that six spot at the highest, but usually uh, probably around the seventh or eighth seed in the West. I think they're going to be battling with the Wolves and the Blazers. I, I know the Blazers are after a decent start, played some good games here, but I do see them kind of coming back. I don't know if they have the depth needed, if, um, you know, if there were any injuries to Lillard or McCollum. Uh, I don't think they have the depth compared to some of the other teams. I think, you know, uh, the teams that we'd see up top would be the Warriors, Jazz, Rockets. I think the Nuggets are kind of shoe-ins. The Pelicans have been playing amazing so far as well. I see the Lakers kind of battling down there with the Spurs, Thunder, Wolves, and Blazers. So, um, you know, out of those four or five teams, there's only two that can make it. Uh, you're right, when, when we start to look at that list, maybe my panic meter goes up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, right? Uh, everyone seems like they have a decent shot, but... I think the Lakers will sneak in there um, above uh, the Thunder, Wolves, or Blazers. Yeah, to be honest, my panic meter for the Lakers is probably at about a, a 5 or a 6 at this stage, and in large part because all of the concerns I had going into the season about their defense, about their spacing, uh, you know, about their half-court offense, all of those concerns are, are still enormous red flags at this stage. And, you know, they, they don't seem to have any sort of strength that I wasn't expecting. You know, I expected them to be a, a pretty good transition team. I expected LeBron to be LeBron. But if if they can't fix those, those huge weaknesses, it is going to be a struggle for them this season. But moving forward past this uh, this season and, and going into next year, if, if, as you said, they don't really make a, a big splash move uh, at the deadline and they, they hold on to that cap space... Uh, what type of player or, or which of the available guys do you see as kind of an optimal fit next to LeBron to uh, to turn this Lakers franchise into a championship contender? Yeah, if I had my pick of all the guys that are you know coming up next year, I think the optimal fit is obviously Clay Thompson. Uh, I think you know with Clay Thompson, you had the shooter, the defensive player on the perimeter, and you make the Warriors weaker. So that's probably the optimal fit. If, you know, if I had to pick one guy that's going to be a free agent next year, um, obviously Kawhi is there. But, you know, you just start to kind of look at the free agents that are out there, you know, depending on what happens with Jimmy Butler, start to wonder, like, uh, you know, is Clay Thompson really going to move? Is Kawhi happy in Toronto? Is there, you know, a situation where Jimmy gets traded to a place where he doesn't want to leave and the Lakers are kind of left with, you know, all this money and no one really to spend it on? And what what's the plan if that happens? And uh, I, I think that's something the Lakers should seriously start thinking about. I think that, you know, cockiness of, you know, this is the Lakers, it's LA, people want to play with LeBron. I don't know if I feel that confident in that yet. And, you know, do you go to a plan B at that point where, you know, you look at, as funny as it sounds, a guy we already talked about, right? If uh, Randall's a free agent, do you give him some money from that 37, 38 million? Or a guy like Chris Middleton, who's out there, who's a great shooter, uh, like, he seems like someone that be able to fit in nicely with this team and you know uh, is he worth 25 30 mil that's something that they'd have to consider yeah and that's another reason why letting randall walk is is probably a mistake as you mentioned you know on his contract that he signed with the pelicans it's a very tradable movable deal Uh, you know the lakers sign him to that deal and and they end up getting confirmation from a star that uh, he wants to join them you can move Randall at that point, but but just letting him walk basically puts you in a position where 
you are completely and totally all in on that free agent process, and uh, a lot of times that doesn't work out. And and based on the history of LeBron's career, he hasn't necessarily been known to be a guy that that does have that draw with other players. Right, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Julius Randle, it seems like he fits everything that the Laker management has asked for, right? You know, he's, he's not the best shooter, but a great transition player. He's the guy that's able to play multiple positions. So it's just surprising, and, you know, I think we mentioned this before, right? Is there, there are some underlying issues there with Aaron Mintz. You know, we had the issue with D'Angelo Russell being traded, Paul George not taking an interview, same agent for uh, you have for uh, Julius Randle. And kind of, you know, are there any other... Uh, factors that you know we're probably not aware of that played a part in terms of uh, Julius kind of heading out of LA. Well, yeah, and the other the other interesting thing about Randall and, and his fit with the Lakers is you know you you talk about some of the best defenses in the NBA today. Uh, you've got your Golden State and Houston who pretty much exclusively switch uh, for for all forty eight minutes. You've got a team like Utah and even Portland last year who who play the conventional style with their bigs dropping back into the paint and protecting the basket. But but most of the best defenses in the NBA have a consistent scheme throughout the entire game, and Randall's a perfect fit for what the Lakers have done most of the time, which is switch. Uh, but but when you replace him with a guy like McGee, uh, they've, they've kind of been going back and forth between the traditional scheme and the, and the switching scheme, and, and a lot of times that causes defensive breakdowns. Right, and then, you know, I think, Garrett, you know, you let Randall go, right, and then you still have an opportunity to go out there and pay the minimum to Brook Lopez to bring him back, and you pass on that as well. And I know Brook's not that defensive player, but just another big body that can shoot. Oh, he's a defensive player compared to who they have. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, that's true. Uh, you You know, if you look at some of the team PR last year, like he was one of the leaders of that team and especially down the stretch, his shot was going so yes, if you think of spacing with LeBron like that's another guy, I don't understand why the Lakers would pass on him as well, uh, maybe he couldn't play at the pace that they wanted to, but there's definitely something he could have brought to this team Yeah, that uh, it certainly is puzzling and, and all of the questions people had about the signings after LeBron, a lot of people were very skeptical and uh, I think they're they're being proven right here, at least through the first uh, week of the NBA season. But but certainly the Lakers are going to be fascinating to watch throughout the rest of this year. Zeeshawn, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, I really appreciate it, Garrett. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at O-N-U dot E-D-U. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. Be happy to to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. 
And uh, if you're if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.